This is Writers Not Writing, the show where you can get to know your favorite writers and soon-to-be favorite writers by listening to them confess to the ways they procrastinate. Thanks for procrastinating with us. I'm Benjamin Gorman, and the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug the producer. I write novels and collections of poetry and stuff. Doug tries his best to make me sound better. And each week we have a secret word to listen for. If you catch it, you earn the right to take an extra break at the time of your choosing from whatever is stressing you out. From Not A Pipe Publishing, welcome to Writers Not Writing. Today's secret word is Thailand. Welcome, everyone. Today's guest is Gwen Tolios. Gwen is an ace writer from Chicago who's constantly trying to get her cat to cuddle. While she does write romance novels, most of her publications are speculative short stories. Uh, her story, Isolation Training, is part of the Written with Pride anthology. Uh, fantastic story. Everybody should check that one out. Welcome, Gwen. How's it going? Going well. Yourself, Ben? Not bad. Uh, everybody who watches the show knows we always dress up in these amazing costumes for the show, but then we have to describe them for the folks who are listening on the podcast. So, Gwen, tell everybody what you chose to wear today. Um, so I chose to wear my mermaid costume. Uh, I love costumes, so uh, I love mermaids. So this, um, not quite Ariel style, so it's got the the very orange seashell bra, full-length tail. You can't see it, but it's like tule on the bottom. Whenever I wear this out in public, I actually have like a helper who like picks it all up for me. Yeah. Um, and to complete the look, since I'm also on TikTok, I have my book talk uh, crown. Yes, nice. Uh, I, I I wanted to go with something, you know, I if you are a mermaid at heart, I think I'm probably a werewolf at heart, uh, you know, with, with all the anxiety and and, and everything that, that comes with, uh, you know, not knowing, you know, when, when I'm going to lose it. So I went with this werewolf costume, which is unwise in the heat. Like I am, I am <laughs> you just look going, like so hot right now. <laughs> yeah, it's really warm. <laughs> but, uh, you know, for the sake of the show, for the sake of the listeners, uh, I am I am I am fully wolfed out for this show. So what has been uh, this is a show about procrastination. What has been oh, yeah. something that has been helping you procrastinate in this last week? Um, so I I tend to go in and out of fandoms a lot. And so my current obsession is the old Yu-Gi-Oh anime. It's like 20 years old at this point, but I've like rediscovered it lately and I'm just very obsessive about it right now so i, I I'm remember not... watching it way back when like i watched it when it was on tv uh, right same yes. um but the creator had died roughly a year ago actually while trying to rescue someone who was drowning oh, wow. um so there was kind of like this resurgence on social media and i was like do you know what i should like go back and watch it and i didn't realize that there was like an extra four seasons i only remember the first season oh, from really? when i was a kid so there's a lot of material for me to go through is uh was was it a manga and then or was it toy line and then cartoon how did that so it was actually originally originally the uh the manga and then turned into a anime here um and there's definitely parts of the anime that are just not in the manga at all eventually because i'm obsessive um once i finish watching the show i actually want to go back and read the translation um, of the manga yeah that uh you know and and so are you into uh you know anime in general like uh, all you know do you know what i used to be like when i was in high school that was my jam as i've gotten older less so um part of it was just my time disappeared yeah. like once you hit college there's other things that are on your plate 
and now it's an access thing. I don't want to pay more money for Crunchyroll, but if it's on Netflix, yeah, then I might do it. Yu-Gi-Oh is actually on Hulu, so it nice. makes it easy to get. Well, and there has been such an explosion in the form in terms of the quantity. It feels mm-hmm. like to me anyway, maybe that's just more breakthrough in the United States, but there are so many that I'm like, I don't know where to even catch up. Like uh, I've been watching, uh, uh, my, my son and I have been watching Demon Slayer. And, okay. uh, and, and that's that one is fun i i you know very much have that kind of cultural remove where i'm like i'm not sure if i'm qualified to evaluate if this particular (laughs) response is cheesy or if is this response entirely culturally appropriate and i'm just thinking that was a cheesy moment because it's me like they're they're these characters who wear the the uh, masks with the really long nose uh the, Mm -hmm. the the sensei character and i'm like i cannot take him seriously he looks like one of the marx brothers like totally fair yeah and i feel like there's a lot of hidden things just within anime where it might just be uh it's i mean like just like when you talk about science fiction or fantasy there's certain things in the genre there's certain things that also just fall into an anime genre that we might think is cheesy but is actually just like a staple yeah or yeah it could be a trope or it could Mm -hmm. be a reference that i don't get and so i'm like oh is this something that i would understand if i knew this other legend or whatever that that is that it's making reference to so yeah i i I, you know i can dabble in it but i'm like i would have to get really deep into this to get all oh fair yeah yeah so uh what about uh in uh this week's news what has been keeping you from your writing um, so everything that's happening with the new Threads app. Um, so as an author, like I'm always interested in social media. That's how I'm doing my own promotions. But my day job is actually also in marketing. Oh. So it kind of hit that both sides of things. Um, what's going on with it? Do we want to recommend it to clients and, and so on? So it's definitely been on my mind a lot the past few days. I have been uh, more than dabbling uh, on threads, <laughs> which means I'm 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 spending my time reading still Twitter and you know uh, mm-hmm. scrolling through Instagram and and reluctantly occasionally going to Facebook. But then I am if I'm going to post anything, I'm copying and pasting to all three. You know, like it, it's you know it's going to everywhere, and I'm like this is this feels laborious. I would love it if I would love it if uh, uh, threads. One of the things they've talked about doing is being able to import Mastodon from, uh, you know, and, and include that. So you post on Mastodon and it shows up on your uh, threads. And I'm like, I'm hopeful that we can create a, you know, clearinghouse. And yet Mastodon can still have the ability to say, sorry, Mark Zuckerberg, you can't, you know, manipulate yeah. Mastodon. So we'll see if there's some consolidation there uh, as, as they, but yeah, it's it's been wild. Um, Do you actually know the website um, If This Then That? No. So um, If This Then That is what you see in coding languages, but there's a website for it. So um, IFTTT. And what they do is they have these small little applets where they will automate that sharing of content across multiple social media channels. So every time I post a photo on Instagram, it used to automatically share on Twitter. It doesn't anymore, but it will share to um, Facebook if I wanted it to. It shares to Tumblr um, and it won't like just share a link to the Instagram post. I'll actually like share the actual image. Oh, is it, does it cost anything? <laughs> um, so they've recently changed. So you can only have two connections for free and then you do have to have a paid subscription. Um, it used to be like unlimited for free, which is great. Um, 
but I'm sure there's other services that do the same thing. Yeah, I used to use uh, what was it called? Social Oomph, which okay. was very similar. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was only for a couple things and it cost and it didn't have a good mobile app. And so I was like, well, mm. this is great when I'm posting for the, you know, not a pay publishing, when I'm posting for the company, I can yeah. post to multiple, but uh, I would have had to pay and it didn't uh, do, was it, 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 maybe the problem was it didn't do video, I think. I was, oh. you know, it was kind of limited. And yeah. so, uh, you know, it was like, oh no, I want to be able to, you know, interact in this way that is drawing attention to our authors, to their books. And this is actually limiting. It's easier to copy and paste everything especially when we've got a launch we just launched uh ashfall by uh MK. oh yeah i saw those posts yeah, it's so. <laughs> really good and so i'm like i need to be letting readers know check out this book it's so good uh but uh yeah that's it it is work <laughs> it's a mm -hmm. lot of work yeah very much so it i mean is it nice that you have I mean, it's got to be wonderful that you've got that expertise from your job, but does it mean that it is extra exhausting when you're like, I've been doing marketing all day for, you know, for, for my day job <laughs> and now I'm home and I'm doing it as a writer for myself. Like that sounds like. Um, yes and no. So I work for a really big agency. So we kind of have specialized roles. My role is specialized in the analytics. So I do a lot of the evaluation of, was this a good spend, you know, yeah. Did we spend our money correctly? What was the impact of this? So I'm not actually involved in the tactics. Like, where should we be putting media? What type of media should we be creating? So I don't have that kind of conflict when trying to do it for myself. It means I don't have skill sets that I could use for both, <laughs> you know, but I'm able to like look at if I'm posting uh, a variety of media, I can then evaluate, okay, this was good. This was not, but I don't have any help in like, this will be good. This is what I should be doing. I'm but, learning I mean, just that, like that the rest of us. Information <laughs> on the back end is incredibly valuable to be able to go, I know what did work. Maybe it's, you know, a three day old piece of data, but <laughs> that's still a lot better than the rest of us. Uh, yeah, Fair. I spend a lot of time looking at the analytics for like our ads, what, mm. you know, what actually uh, uh, worked and, and yeah, it's, uh, it's often because it's the company's money and it's very limited. <laughs> It's an exercise in frustration to go, yeah, we, we spent more than we made on that one. Shoot. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know? for sure. Like I've only just got into my own paid ads versus just like maybe boosting a social post occasionally. Yeah. Um, And I realized like doing paid ads on Amazon, it was really hard for me to make a profit. So I changed and I'm not doing them as conversion campaigns. I'm doing awareness campaigns. Mm. So, cause I don't pay to serve impressions. I only pay to serve clicks. Um. So, right. So if I just have a really low bid knowing no one's going to click on it at least people are still seeing the cover and if yeah. they do click and buy well then it's a really low cost for me uh, but it's a different marketing strategy you know there's different things that you want to do yeah i should look into that um we will have the because they are so proprietary about their mm. algorithm and, and secretive yes. uh it is very frustrating to try and track and so i will get uh, you know, I'll have an ad that does no nothing for, you know, months. And then suddenly mm -hmm. I get a bill for a hundred bucks and it's like, what happened with this one? It suddenly was being clicked on like crazy and that should be great. And then I go to look at the sales and I'm like, oh, we got, you know, a hundred dollar expense and we sold six books out of, of, of yeah. that title. What happened there? You know? And so I'm constantly trying to change those. This is the, the kinds of things that the, uh, the authors don't know. And I'm like, no, I really am working hard for you. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like the paid stuff, stuff is so crazy. Like I've also recently started experimenting with paid ads on Facebook and like Facebook will, they'll tell you in the contract, they will actually like 
overbid. So if your bid is 50 cents, they say, oh, we might actually bid up to 75 cents a click. Yep. And you can't tell them not to do it. So you're yeah. always going to overspend on Facebook. Yep. It's you have to monitor these things daily. Well, and what I found is the Facebook ones don't translate into sales. And I think it's it makes sense. People are saying to themselves, I am going on to Amazon, I'm going to purchase. And so they're far more likely to go, and while I'm here, here's a book. Like, you know, they're they're in that buying mood. But Facebook, we've used it more successfully to get out the word about things like mm. you know, the, the 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 recent issues we had on Facebook. We made a video saying, hey, you know, this this, you know, kind of got this horrific anti-LGBTQIA response and that kind of awareness campaign thing worked but uh, mm -hmm. the, the the actual ads don't translate into sales which is frustrating for authors but yeah um, um the last time I ran Facebook too like I said uh the, the bid thing got me but I actually use it as like a cheap version of PicFu if you know that so uh -huh. I had like five um, I have a book right now that's just, uh, we're getting into like, it's such shop talk here. But, yeah, you know. I know, I know, we're getting <laughs> This is a writing process, so it's okay. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, this. if I'm not writing, I may be doing this. This is how I procrastinate. Yeah. Um, so, but I have a book where right now it just exists as a Kindle Bella. So I don't have like an official cover for it. I designed five alternative covers. I ran it through a Facebook ad. And then based off of how many clicks I was getting, I could understand which cover concept was resonating with people. Yeah. So it was a good way for me to spend like $20. That's okay for me to spend. I wouldn't spend any more. <laughs> um, well, that's, the, that's the trick. How can I spend this small amount of money and get the you know maximum amount of clicks? And, right? Um, it is hard. I have seen people have success running essentially Twitter polls. They're not Twitter polls with images because you can't do you know, mm. images on a poll, but they'll just go out and say to folks, which of these two do you think I should use? And then they do A-B testing, essentially. You know, the next yeah. day you do, which of these two should I use? And you get a lot of feedback on your covers with that kind of, uh, uh, you know, people do that with their author biopics too. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. this really isn't about the choosing the picture. This is about, you know, getting my attention. And it worked. Picture B is the better picture, you know? And so, uh, yeah, that that kind of A-B testing, uh, I, I need to do more of that. But we generally get one cover. You know, we hire a pro, mm. we get a good cover, we're really pleased with it. And then I'm like, oh, but we could have gotten some uh, some interaction from folks by asking them which of the two to use. So maybe, maybe that's something for me to try in the future. Or even just early in the process, like what cover concept do you think would work better? <laughs> You know, I should do that. There is one that I am really struggling with. They've got a fantastic novel and the sequel is going to be coming out uh, from Jason Brick, but it's a very hard pitch to capture in the, the cover. And I should just put that mm. out there, folks, and say, how, what would it, what would it be a good cover that would get your attention for this and see if I can get some feedback on that? Right, and then it gets them invested in the process of the book, you know? So. Yeah. So uh, what is a hobby that has been uh, uh, helping you escape from your writing this last week? Oh, man, like writing is my hobby. I mentioned I had a day job. So like there's a lot of the stuff, but I like to do low key outdoor activities. Um, so I like to go hiking. I actually went camping over the 4th of July last weekend. I picked up archery during COVID. So I'll do nice. that sometimes too. Yeah. So uh, archery, what, uh, you know, how into uh, like, multiple bows and you know uh, or or one bow <laughs> one, is it a compound bow what are you is it like uh like hunting kind of archery or target or oh no i have a, a recurve so um it's just a single or multiple pieces of wood i pull back i don't have um any of like the doodads that you might see yeah. a competitive shooter doing 
Um, and I don't have a really strong bow weight. It's really just an excuse. Um, it's like my version of golf, if that makes sense. Like no, my totally dad will makes- just like grab his clubs and go swing and talk to people. I'll grab my bow and arrows and I go to the range. It's outdoor at one of the um, county parks. So then you just go with a friend and you just take turns shooting and you're, you know, chatting while you go. So that's great. You know, uh, I, I was really struck. I was learning about Zen and there are Zen monks who study, the, 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 they focus on one thing, not because of the thing, but because it is a challenge and it's just about mm. perfection. And archery is one of the things that, you know, it's, it's, you know, bonsai, which is one of the things that I have come to love uh, is, you know, you can be a, a, a Zen monk who just works on bonsai for the rest of your life. But archery is totally one of those things. It's just about repetition and, and you know, developing that perfection over time, you know. Yes. A lot of it is, um, it will come down to muscle memory. So then you have to make sure that you're teaching your body to do the right thing. Right. Not, not learning <laughs> error forever. Right. <laughs> That's great. Well, um, so the next question I have for you sounds a little weird, but since the purpose of the show is to help our readers get to know authors, I want to ask you about if you were a D&D character. So if you were yourself, a character in D&D, what would be your race and class? Um, so personally, I'd probably make myself a wizard. Um, I do a lot of reading. So the idea of knowledge-based spellcasting just is, you know, attractive to me. Um, and because I like Lord of the Rings, I'll probably be an elf wizard. <laughs> An elfin wizard. Excellent. Yeah. And, uh, and so, okay, now you've been attacked. We're going to put this to the test. It's just three level one goblins. You're walking through the woods, three level one goblins. What do you do? Do I have a level above? Because I oh, would yes. love oh, to yes. cast fireball. Absolutely. Oh, no, you're, yeah, you're, you're many levels above these three goblins. All right, great. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll turn off a quick fireball spell. I love getting involved into fights. It's my favorite part about playing d I just want to <laughs> go out there. <laughs> fireball, mage hand is fun, yeah. you know, excellent. So yes, cast a fireball, all three. I mean, you probably could take out three with a fireball, depending oh, on area of effect. So of you course, know. like that's like my precision practice. You know, can I get all three of them with the one blast? Yes, yes. I have. I in D and D, do you have to worry about starting forest fires? I'm not sure that that's. Uh, you know, depends on the DM. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> You've got this excellent, you know, huge, enormous fireball. You immolate the three goblins and you've started a terrible forest fire. <laughs> right. I mean, like I have accidentally caused fires before in a D&D campaign, so I know it can happen. But I mean, if you've got the right spells, you can, you know, then, you know, uh, the, the, the combat is over. I'm now going to put out the fire that I just Right. Did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Excellent. Um, so uh, we're going to go to our uh, ad break. But when we come back, I'll ask you about what you've been daydreaming about lately. Today's show is brought to you by Nancy Ballard's Under Caraco's Moon series. The planet Caraco is short on technology and long on wide open spaces. When Seth Riley returns home to Underrim, it isn't the peaceful village he remembers. Trouble is in the wind, and the new girl in town is at the heart of it. The two of them get in the way of Jerdix, a racketeer with a torture device outlawed throughout the Interstellar Coalition. Unable to cope with what he's suffered, Seth flees to a lonely camp where he becomes obsessed with taming a horse as damaged as he is. She follows, determined to help him. 
but immersing herself in his troubles and in the challenges of rugged terrain and solitude just helps her deny her own ordeal. Isolation is not a cure, and Jerdix is still out there. Can they stand up to this threat and find the help they both need to heal? The series continues in deep canyons and tricky ground, as Seth and Lee discover something that will change the fate of their whole planet. Karen Eisenbray, author of the Rage Brigade duology and the Wizard Girl trilogy, says, This thrilling sci-fi western rides the open range of another world with complex characters caught in a web of conspiracy. And Miko Azul, author of the Demons of Moralia series, says, Distant Trails is a roller coaster ride of pain and despair, love and redemption. Ballard's characters embody both frailty and resilience as they redefine their lives from tragedy to hope. Get your copies of the whole Under Caracos Moons series today. Thank you, Doug. Gwen, what is something you've been daydreaming about lately? Um, a birthday trip. So this year is uh, a bit of a milestone. I'll be 35. Uh-huh. And so my mom is insisting. She's like, we're going somewhere. <laughs> and and any particular place planned yet? No, um, we know we we have the dates picked out. We don't have a uh, a destination yet, but I um I'm just stalking flights, I guess, to see what will end up being a cheap flight to someplace cool. Um, will probably be domestic. Um, I've never done the Saguaro National Park, so oh. that might be a fun thing to to hike. Um, but last time I was like Google stalking, I saw. $300 round trip tickets to Dublin, which might also be nice. They're yeah. no longer at that price point, you know, but if it, if that comes back. Yeah. I mean, maybe. oh, that would be, yeah. I, I am a huge fan of international travel. Like if you can get out, it's so great, you know, to, to be able to, you know, broaden your world and it will you yes. know, be wonderful for your writing. So yeah, if you can do the Dublin one, if you can find the deal, that would be really cool. Dublin is a really cool city. I have, um, I've spent exactly 18 hours in london because it was a layover yeah <laughs> but that's the only thing i've done in in that part of the world um so it would be great if we managed to do it where were you off to that you spent time in london um so greece oh, yeah. um yeah so um my mom and i travel together frequently and we actually like having a long layover on our way home yeah. so then we could explore the things so we did london that way we actually did uh taiwan that way too Oh, how, where? So, where were you off to on the Taiwan trip? Thailand. I am going this next spring. I have never been. Oh, nice! It very was excited. So, what was uh, your experience like in Thailand? It was amazing. Um, so we went in the fall, so it was a little cooler, but still like hot. Um, a lot of the temples were just stunning to look at. Honestly, um, Bangkok was so so crowded um very hot like that's one of the places where you don't walk because it's just too hot too humid you're taking a taxi everywhere um and my uh roommate from grad school actually lives out in Bangkok and so we hung out with her and her family and just did a lot of restaurants and um saw the palace which was also yes I think that's on our we're doing one of those very you know um regimented tours mm. uh but uh yeah the palace we will certainly get to see in the temples and i am i'm very excited and then we'll yeah. eat a lot you know oh of course part of it too um and a lot of what's amazing is actually just like the street food like all of the vendors just kind of specialize like pad thai over there is just like a really niche street food so you go to like the one cart and that's all they make but it's phenomenal yeah um 
Oh, enjoy. That will, be, that will be that. That's and that's something that I will uh, be keeping an eye out for because often it is the you know the the folks where you're going. Oh, this isn't the you know the five star restaurant. It's the street food that is the amazing kind of cultural experience. You know. Yes. Uh, I had a some f- food in Greece, uh, one of the islands that was some of the most amazing food I've ever had in this tiny hole in the wall restaurant. Like oh, you know, it's it's always. not the the big place that everybody goes. It's can you find that place where. The people who live there know. <laughs> yeah, no. The place. Exactly. So, um, yeah, every time we go to Greece, we do the same thing. It's a little kiosk. It's with the Venas and yeah. That's my that's my go to with uh, cabbies. I always ask the cabbies, okay, where do you eat around here? And they'll tell you where's the good food. You know, yes. <laughs> the cabbies know. Yes, I also find because I've done them a few times in different cities, food tours to be mm. really good because they're not taking you to those fancy places but they're showing you local delicacies and your tour guide is going to have at least five other places to recommend for you yeah yeah i think this one that we're going on uh, my, my dad's putting it together but uh, it's more focused on history and and you know a lot of it is seeing you know we're going to go to cambodia we're going to get to do Angkor wat which i'm oh, nice. about. yeah like that's one of my bucket list places um, but i'm working on the third novel in this series and I just decided, oh, well, I'm going to be there. That's the setting. So I'm going to be taking yes. notes like crazy because I want to catch the flavor of the place, the culture, the, you know, street names that, you know, kind of that accuracy, uh, but mm-hmm. also it's a para, you know, paranormal story. So it's, you know, where are the dragons hiding in Anger Wat kind of a place. <laughs> kind yes. of story. So yes. I'm going to have a lot of fun with that. Oh, kudos. That sounds amazing, actually. Oh. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, for, for you, for this big trip, like, does that does that get into your writing intentionally or kind of you know it's oh yeah i've been there i could i could uh, uh you know use that as a place or do you set that aside and say no i'm on vacation um so i am constantly taking note of things in my head so it'll be everything from like i i will write prose in my head like while i'm walking down the street i'm like oh the rain is hitting me here's how i would describe it in a story so when I go on vacation, I'm definitely taking stock of this is cool. This is cool. That is cool. Um, I take a lot of photos. Um, sometimes I find that places I've been are inspired in like culture. If I'm doing a fantasy story, um, naming conventions sometimes. Um, but I won't necessarily have someplace that someplace specifically from travels. I do have several stories set in Chicago, though, because this yeah. is the city that I live in. Right. I'm familiar with it the most. Um, Chicago so is a great frequently. city. I love Chicago. There's 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 so much richness in Chicago to plumb, too. I mean, it's yes, just, and that's I what I love about it. Um, like you turn around and you have a modernist building, and you have an Art Deco, and then you have a neoclassicism. It's just such a mush of everything and there's yeah, so many and cultures here Polish neighborhood and... and it's like you know it's got this very rich unique history and then next thing you know you're in this uh you know latino neighborhood next door and it's right? you know yeah so that is it, chicago is a cool place in that way and for and it's and it's the i, I shouldn't say next door chicago mixes really well like yes, it's not yes. cordoned off, you know? Yeah. And that's what I think is really nice about it. Like even I technically I live out in the suburbs, but within the suburbs, it's so easy for me to access, like I could walk to them, Indian, Thai, Greek, Moroccan, a variety of different types of Latin cuisine, um, a restaurant that has won awards from Mexico for its yeah. authentic like meals. And I'm just like, wait, Thai places, sushi, 
Um, there's a Cuban place. I can't walk to that one, but it's a five minute drive. Like they aren't, like you said, sequestered at all. You could pick and choose whatever you want, whenever you want. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, my time. Every time I go to Chicago, I'm like, I did not get enough time. Like there is, uh, you know, there's so much to see and, and try and, you know, yeah. And I end up just wandering because it's a great walking city downtown. Yes. Too. Can, yes. You know, really wide, wide sidewalks, easy to get to places. And the grid system makes it really hard to get lost once you understand it. Yeah. Once you're like, okay, the lake is there. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. So what is, uh, what is something that you want listeners to know about your career, where you're at right now? What are, what's an announcement that's going on in your, in your writing career? Um, that is, so I am, I should started actually hoping that I would be known for my contemporary romances. They're queer romances, um, specifically of one that's out, that's uh, an arrow ace romance. Um, so that was important to me. That's my orientation. But I have found that what people actually enjoy more from me is my short stories. <laughs> so I am sort of making that career pivot into um, a committed short story author. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, I've got two and a half anthologies out. I say that because one of them is Kindle Bella only right now, but it'll be there eventually. Right. Um, so, but that's just been like a thing for me that I'm still like as an author kind of working out and what people I think should be aware of is that um, some people know me for the romance. Some people know me from the short stories. It's the same person. It's just yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. So, and so what are the anthologies? What are the names of those? We should get the, those into folks' hands. I mean, well, Written with Pride was the one that I was most recently oh, yeah. in. <laughs> You know, so there's yes. that one. Well aware um, of that one. Excellent. Yeah. And then the one that came up before that is actually called Fade Deals and Other Tales. Um, so that one came out just uh, just before Christmas, I okay. would say. So fantasy anthology, uh, all short stories, you know, at this point. Um, and then I have uh, actually an anthology that I edited called Denizens of the Deep, which is all about, uh, it's a mixed genre story. Uh, or mixed genre anthology, sorry. So we have um, mystery and contemporary and fantasy stories in there about creatures that live deep in the sea. Oh, uh, cool. I I uh, was just working on a chapter. I've got a, a you know, sirens, gorgons, mermaids uh, in, in my novel and was working on a passage. And it was funny, as I was falling asleep last night, I was reflecting on the chapter that I'd written and creeping myself out. And I was like, because it, it is there is this beauty and horror at when you get into the depths that is really yes. fun to kind of play with as a writer. So um, yeah. The, There's the, a lot the, of stuff the, down so there. Yeah. yeah. And like, uh, like Michigan, which is kind of what had sort of inspired uh, Denizens of the Deep. Everyone in it is a Chicago based author. Um, but like, like Michigan has its own tides. It has its own yeah. shipyard graveyard. It has its own version of the Bermuda Triangle. Like there's some stuff happening. Like, 10 miles from me. Um, so. <laughs> there was also the, and I don't know if this has already happened. There was this worry that there were these particular uh, invasive uh, carp, I believe from China or something that were going to invade Lake Michigan and, you know, wreak havoc on the fish that live there. And I was like, there's a, there's a, there's, you know, a, a metaphor for a wonderful horror story, <laughs> the invasive right? species in Lake Michigan. Uh but yeah, I think so, Chinese carp, I think, is what they're called. Oh, fascinating. And I have I don't not know heard if about that. But there was this worry that 
you know, an invasive species, once they're, uh, you know, deposited, uh, how, what do you, how do you stop them? It's like rabbits in Australia, you know, like, oh. once they're there, they're there. Really hard. I know, like, I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit, actually right on the Detroit River. And the big thing there was zebra mussels. Um, once they kind of showed up, it was almost impossible to get rid of them. Yeah. Yeah, here in uh, Oregon, we had this weird phenomena where um, the the beaver trade uh, uh, for beaver pelts in you know when they were when beaver hats were fashionable in France, uh, you know they they nearly wiped out the beavers in Oregon, and oh, so wow. somebody had the bright idea of bringing nutria from uh, Peru to okay. Oregon, and these nutria would be the replacement. And nutria are, if you've never seen a picture of them, they are RUSs from, uh, from <laughs> they are yeah. these monstrous giant rats. And they they brought them up. And then when the uh, the bottom fell out of the beaver pelt trade uh, in Europe, they were just not cool anymore. The person went, oh, whatever, and let them loose. And they have they are this invasive species. They are incredibly damaging. They they just they're just not evolved to live here, and it's not even that they're not evolved. the The trees here are not evolved to survive them, and they mm, destroy yeah. a watershed. And so the the state has done all kinds of things where they've said, you know, if you kill one and send us the tail or whatever, we'll send you sixty bucks. Like they're actively trying to get people to wipe out these Damn. U.S.s. They're really gross. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, because um, yeah, like I said, we had zebra mussels down in Detroit. The other thing was uh, like elephant weed. It would kill all the cactails. Um, and then the cactails were very important in a whole ecosystem for a lot yeah. of world bird wildlife. And how do you how do you deal with that? Like, I don't even know, you know, because I know that efforts have been done where they'll try and import another species to prey upon that species. And then that becomes the new problem. Like, you know, it's, it, there, there's no simple solution to, oh, we're going to eliminate this predatory new, you know, pl especially a plant species. Like, right. For a plant, you really just have to pull it up and you yeah. have to pull it up before it seeds. Yeah. Uh, but that's like constant vigilance. And that's, I think that's, yeah, that that's, that's where, or you give up, like, and go, mm. I hope this new environment adjusts to and find some new balance with this. And I think that's, you know, yeah, unfortunately, sometimes the, the, you know, the, the path of least resistance, like, oh, well, I guess we've just wrecked this ecosystem, the end, <laughs> you know, yeah. and if everybody's not in agreement, that's the other thing is if, you know, one state says, we're going to address this in a real full-throated way, and the state next door says, ah, we're just going to let it go, the plant doesn't care. <laughs> yeah no it really doesn't and there's so much like especially in the midwest i feel like there's people are willing to drive <laughs> so you see a lot of people crossing state lines for oh, any yeah. reason like in chicago it's not uncommon for people to commute from wisconsin or indiana yeah so yeah, i've got friends who live in wisconsin and work in chicago like right that, it's not know. that uncommon yeah which and it's a drive like it's a long commute but it's a very doable i mean it's 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 the their life so some people know. will take the amtrak actually yeah yeah well and you, know, you see that in in you know on the east coast too folks who are you know living in connecticut and and coming down to new york and living in maryland and going into dc and so if, yeah you know if you say we're gonna have a state response to this problem the people are less invested if they only live half their lives there and then the other half their lives they're you know traveling somewhere else and how do you stop stuff moving when you're encouraging people to move so yeah it's difficult yeah
I mean, it's, it's an argument for federal responses. Like we really need a federal response to. <laughs> um, I would argue that I would like some things to be a priority than like invasive species. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah, definitely true. There, there are true. some things where we need a, a stronger federal government. Yes. So. Um, so uh, we uh, every week we do a weekly poll and I'll post these on the various social media. And, uh, and you know, we've had some like, dim sum or pho, owls or crows, avocado. How do people feel about that? So what would be your uh, your question for our weekly poll for this next week? So this is inspired by my campaign trip last weekend. What is your preferred method of marshmallows for s'mores? Like nicely golden brown, or do you just stick it in the fire and make it crispy? This is a, a, a raging debate in my household. My fiance is very much of the other camp. I won't. I won't betray where we where we stand on those. But I watch her making a s'more, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, you're destroying it! Ah, you're doing it wrong!" You know. And then she's like, "You're barely doing it." <laughs> Every time I have a campfire where roasting marshmallows, we have this debate because there's always someone on the other side of the camp. I'm mm -hmm. just like, what? I can't watch it. I'm like, "What? What are you? What are you doing? It's a crime against s'mores." Yes. Right? So uh, yeah, that, that's. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see where people fall, but I have a feeling that one will be. Uh, <laughs> that one will be. Hotly contested, right? <laughs> so uh, what is in your to-read pile right now? Um, so I really want to read Novick's Uprooted. Recently read all of her Schooler Mance books, and so that is next up on my docket. I uh, have just picked up, or I just finished the first of uh, Hugh Howey's, uh, I just finished Wool, which is the first of his Silo series. Uh, because the there's now a TV show of Silo, and I'm like, oh, I maybe I'm hearing this is good. I should check it out, and it's really good. So, uh, okay. Wool is the first one, and then uh, let's see, I just started today, the Shift, which is the second, and uh, yeah, that's it's very well written and disturbing. It's you know people trying to wade out the apocalypse in a silo underground, and yeah, you're <laughs> huh, okay. <laughs> you're just... Uh, but but very well done. Uh, and then I was just reading. This is a this is not a to read, but this is a recommendation um, mm -hmm. for everybody. Something it just came up on my uh, Twitter today. No, it came up on Threads. See, we're relevant. Um, somebody was recommending uh, Cloud Cuckoo Land. Uh, I have not heard of that one. It is because I've been reading Silo. It reminded me of Cloud Cuckoo Land, which has a little bit of. Cloud Cuckoo Land is a brilliant book. Uh, it is, it's five stories, I believe, overlapping, and you keep jumping between them over the course Got of it. history about, it's very much a, a, a reader's book. Like it is a book about the value that a story can have in your life. And you watch mm. how this story is preserved over time. And it is, it's fantastic. So Cloud Cuckoo Land, I know it's praised to death. Everybody who's read it is talking about it. But rightfully so. <laughs> it is All right, no, that's fair. I have it's not heard of that one, yeah, but I've heard title. of Wool. The um, title doesn't sell it. Like I was like, Cloud Cuckoo Land? What the heck? Right, and yeah. then when you read it, you will go, oh yeah, I, that was the right title. <laughs> so it's it's more of like a dystopian versus like, that title to me screams like literary fiction. It's, it is literary, but what okay. it does that's so wonderful is it's through these different periods of history. And so there is one that's the future. Okay. So it's got, got it. this, you know, in the distant future, how is this story being preserved? And in the present, how is this story affecting people? And in 
the, the at the I believe it's the fall of Constantinople. How is this? Oh wow! Okay, so that's know? a huge range. Yeah, and then ancient Greece. So it's all through, uh, you know, and, and so and you keep jumping back and forth, and it's it's marvelous. So the the preservation of not even a document of a story. How is this? And the story, story keeps changing yeah. over time, and then how does the story? change these people uh when they hear this myth so and a myth he made up like that's the thing he's created this alternative world where there is a myth and you know i i it's so well done that i found myself going is 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 there a real version of this myth did this no it's it's made up but it's like imagining that somebody created one of those almost like an aesop's fable kind of story how would that have changed people over time if that was then part of culture so highly recommend okay that does sound like a very interesting concept. Yeah, I, I think I think you would enjoy that one a lot. As somebody who, especially as somebody who is working in short fiction, like <laughs> right. the way short fiction, then you know, it's 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 like short fiction as an ur text, and then a novel around how is that impact? You know, it's it's really cool. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll check it out. Um, so where can listeners find you when you are when you're not writing your books, when you're interacting online? Where would write readers find you? Um, so I spend. Unlike most writers, I would say most of my time on Tumblr, actually. (laughs) Um, So, and I actually will release like short fiction for free on my Tumblr blog on a pretty regular basis. So that's the main spot to find me. I'm also on Instagram. I am not on threads. I will probably not go to threads. (laughs) Um, And then I am also on TikTok. So I do a lot of videos there. I'm trying to get onto Blue Sky because while I have a Twitter account, I don't use it much anymore. Yep. Okay. Well, we will put uh, links to all of those in the show notes as well. So folks should check those out. So before we get to our send off, uh, there's some folks I need to thank. Thanks to the artist Max Oakland, who reached out and provided one of his songs for our intro, I Prefer the Dusk. Let Max know you like it by following him on Twitter at Max Oakland with three Ds. Thanks to Halizna CCO for their song Kids for the ad break. Uh, If you're in a band and you'd like your song used on the show, I would love to highlight a listener's work like Max's song. So email me about that. Thanks to Doug, the producer, as always, for making the show sound good and for taking the blame when it doesn't. And I cannot forget to mention, Writers Not Writing is a production of Notapie Publishing. So please go to notapiepublishing.com, check out the amazing books written by authors like Gwen, who didn't procrastinate too much. Uh, if you like this show, rate and review it wherever you found it. Check out Gwen's story and Written with Pride, uh, or her solo anthology, Fay Deals and Other Tales. Tell a friend about those as well. Uh, leave a review, even that single click on that fifth star makes a huge difference to authors. So if you've got a couple of minutes, make Wednesday. Uh, I'm too old to tell anybody smash that like button. But if you like this show, gently tap that like button. We would appreciate that as well. And that brings us to our send off. Uh, So Gwen, we've got Gwen and I have three things we want to tell you listeners to remember this next week. Gwen, you go first. There is a hotkey on Windows that will bring up an emoji screen and it will save your life. Oh my gosh, I did not know this. Wait, 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 wait. Now we gotta stop. Your eyes got so big. <laughs> is this only on is this only on Apple? Is this on, uh, only to my on Apple under products? to to my understanding, it's only on Windows. So in oh. Windows OS. So it is um control and the window button. Control and the window button. Which is the window button? Is that one of the F keys? No, the one that looks like the window logo. That's not on my keyboard, but oh, yep, no, it is. I want to try this right now. Oh, sorry. I I told you the wrong thing. It's the window key and the period. Window and the period. Oh, my gosh. 
right? So it brings up emojis, it brings up GIFs, it brings up like regular symbols, like the copyright thing, if you need that, instead of going through like words process. We we have just saved people so much time. Okay, so yes, you don't have to go to insert special character anymore. Just go window period and then you, ah, how great. Okay, well, mine is far less practical. (laughs) Uh, I just want to remind people that a novel without spaces wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. And in the same way, your life needs to have spaces. So take spaces. Uh, And third, no matter how much you procrastinate, we're still proud of you. my time I make of my